Welcome to Boxes and Lines, a different kind of finance podcast from a different kind of stock exchange. Featuring IEX founder Ronan Ryan and Chief Market Policy Officer John Ramsey. Now here to give you the straight talk on how the markets really work. It's Ronan and JR. Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. Welcome to Boxes and Lines. Oh, I don't even know what that is. No, he I went know. to Ireland last week and now you even screwed up I your did. accent even more. No, I don't know. I we, thought you were trying to change your accent a little bit too, Well, right? I don't know. I said, yeah, we were. Ron and I were both in Dublin at the same time. And uh, yeah, so I did. I heard, I heard a lot. I we heard, went out We went out here. for pints last week. He was texting me that he's just getting an influx of so many accents around him. He doesn't know what to do. Yeah, he just, we went his out. head... <laughs> Then I went out to yeah, uh, so went out drinking and then late and then and I saw the ghost of Molly Malone. Well, we don't have Molly Malone on this podcast. No, Look at right. this transition. Yeah. But I'd like to welcome our guest today, and Anna Kurzrock is a returning guest. Yeah, she was one of our early guests in the early days of COVID when we all ran home and we had to do this mm-hmm. remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna's insights into market structure and electronic trading make her a sought-after voice in the industry, <laughs> and she is currently a managing director of market structure at Jefferies. Anna and I work together at RBC. She's a personal friend. She says John Ramsey's okay. She also <laughs> worked at uh, BNP, Paribas, Deutsche Bank, Luminex, RBC, like I said, and worked in as an equities trader for more than a decade before moving over wow. to market structure. Wow. Jesus. God. We're honored to have you back. I Welcome, like, Anna. Thank like you for a, having me. I feel like a piker. I know. Comparison. No, everybody knows all the places you've worked. You, I can regale them with every acronym whenever we do a podcast. All right, let's Translation talk old. Yeah, 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 yeah. You said it. Anyway, welcome, Anna. Glad to have you back. Thank you for having me. Would you like me to ask the first question, John? <laughs> please, please do. Last time you joined us, you were still at your role in BNP Paribas. And since then, you've become managing director of market structure at Jefferies. Tell us what's going on from your viewpoint. Like Anna, by the way, listener, sends out this great monthly note on market structure. And I tell her almost every month, I think I reply and go, you're pretty much the only one I, no offense to everybody else, that I don't delete right away and actually reach. She does a fantastic job synthesizing Synthesizing. all of this shite. Yes, we always do that. I always read it and then I try to pass it off as my views. I try to, like, but it usually doesn't work. (laughs) So do I. Now we've checked GBT to change it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, you know, we, we have to get our guest involved because we're just the two of us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what are you up to? What's going on from your viewpoint? What are some of the big challenges and opportunities you see in the current market landscape? So, of course, you know, we have to start with the standard disclaimer. The views are my own, not necessarily that of my yeah. firm. Yeah. However, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you got to do it. Um, but it is true, right? So I think there are challenges, but also there are opportunities. I think the challenges from where I sit is a very heavy, aggressive regulatory agenda. And the challenge is, you know, whether needed or not is the intersection of all of those proposals together. And then you add on, you know, not just looking at the ones that are proposed, but you're also looking at the ones that are final and are very important to everyone in the industry, like T plus one settlement, right? The, you know, changing, you know, reg SCI, things like that. And then when you couple that with a complete overhaul, potentially of trading, that connection is, um, I think, you know, challenging for everybody, just trying to figure out what should we do with what we have to do. Um, at the same time, you know, we set opportunities too. I think now is, you know, that's more, you know, that's more present. I think I'm seeing a lot of innovation, at least in the trading venue space, innovation in terms of methods of execution, right? We're seeing different ATS venues pop up with, you know, different methods of executing, you know, 
you know, periodic auctions and things like that. So I think that is certainly an area of opportunity from the day-to-day trading side and is, you know, very, very important. So the every and every broker does things differently, you know, including us. And so I think brokers, you know, there's a lot more innovation out there for us to try and incorporate into, you know, our own trading and, you know, play at the end of the day, you know, enhance performance for investors. Yeah. So how many, not to put you on the spot unless you know the answer to this, <laughs> how many proposals have there been? I mean, I know the industry as a whole, not speaking for Anna, has been pretty frustrated with a lot, you know, the, the sheer number of proposals. And then the proposals that we will probably talk about on the podcast now, more the NMS type proposals, which are very, very pertinent to us. But I was just curious if you knew, because I knew you had written a paper on these. Yeah. And I appreciate it now because now that I've been officially called out means I have to update it. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end of 22, I think there were, you know, there were, you know, over 20, close to 30 maybe, but I was just looking at, um, 2023. And I think the number was there were around 11 proposed and 11, 12, Oh, and, and f- that are final, right? And big ones oh, okay. that are final. So, right. and that's just in 20, you know, in 2023. And in 23, like some of those proposals are, you know, I also included, or maybe I didn't include, but the reopening of comment periods of proposals yeah. that were issued or released in, you know, 22, like right. the ATS or, you know, National Exchange proposal, right. things like that. So there's a lot, right? So now we have to figure out how to get the final ones, what we do with the final ones, how it impacts us, whether directly or indirectly. And then we're trying to figure out, okay, what do the proposed rules, at least as proposed in their current form, how are they going to impact us? Not just us directly, but our clients too, because that's just an indirect way of impacting us as well. Yeah. So um, that was the number that I saw last. And, and it seems like... Um, uh, a number of the equity market structure proposals in particular that are not final, um, but that are, um, you know, coming up for consideration for final approval. It seems like a lot of those are likely to be challenged in court. Um, so it seems like the, how this ultimately shakes out and affects the, uh, the equity lanes, landscape may not be known for quite some time. Right. I agree. Well, why don't we jump into that, John? That was a great Let's transition. Thank you. Again. It was a lovely segue. Well, that's, I'm a pro. So from, from your vantage point, um, how do you perceive the current access fee and rebate structure? Obviously, you know, the proposal to lower the access fee was, was one of the proposals in the NMS proposal, but that's what I think John is referring to when he says there could be some decisions soon. And based on recent comment letters that were again submitted on it, it looks like uh, whatever the SEC decided yeah. will be hotly so the, debated. And, and again, just to level set, level set a bit, the uh, the sp- NMS specific proposals the SEC came out with were to lower the minimum tick size from the current one cent standard to something lower, um, reduce access fees um, to potentially 10 mils per share across all stocks, um, you know, others have pushed back, um, on some aspects of that. Also proposals for some kind of minimum trading increment, et cetera. Um, so how do you see all that? What, how, how do you, how do you see the relative impact of all of those things? And, um, any thoughts about how that would play out? So I, I think what's hard, and we had written this in our own comment letter too. There are a lot of valid arguments, you know, for, against, and they're just, you, whether or not you agree or disagree with them, right? They're thought out, their reasons, they, you know, have a certain intention, you know, behind them. But I think the challenge when, it, when we're strictly talking about tick sizes and access fees, 
the discussion today is very different from when the tick size and access fee went in almost 20 years ago. And the reason is, you know, look, do I think there's room for improvement? I absolutely do. Would, I, you know, access fees lower? Sure, right? I mean, we're a broker, right? We, we're very much subject to access fees. But what I think the challenge is now what's become very relevant is stock price. And what is, what we're trying to do is we're looking, you know, that is slowly becoming a much more important part of tick sizes and access fees, which, you know, we're talking about access fees as a percentage of the tick size, whether it's 30 mils as a percentage of one cent or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's very different from what the intention was back when it was first proposed. So for us, you know, certainly for me, it was difficult to say, I don't know what the right rate or tick size should be and what other characteristics ought to surround it. Do I think there is room for perhaps smaller tick sizes in certain stocks? Yes. But, you know, I think where there is a pretty good amount of consensus for the industry is we need more data. And so that's where I think is the challenges in terms of how it plays out. If it goes, you mean if it goes as approved or as proposed? If- uh, well, I mean, or, or just how. So I think on tick size, my sense is that, um, the, the, there's a consensus in favor of some reduction, um, perhaps to a half cent, uh, mm-hmm. or a, some significant number of stocks. Right. Um, so I think most people are not in favor of very narrow tick sizes. And I think there's a less of an expectation that that's ultimately where the SEC will land. We obviously don't know. Until right. We- and, I, and I agree with you, right? Yeah. I think, you know, half a penny tick sizes for certain stocks is a good place to start, regardless, you know, whether or not we agree or disagree with it, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of, it is a consensus. It's like, okay, well, you know, I think there is something that can change, but where I think it could play out is depending on what is ultimately approved could be challenged depending on what they actually do with it. And I think the challenge is because we just don't have data, we, you know, and we have no way of knowing what a sub penny tick size trading in half pennies or a lower access fee in, you know, in concert with it would even look like in the current trading environment. We know right. what it looks like in prior trading environments, but we don't know what it looks like now. And Right. Well, you but you can make projections and I think that it is a um I, I, it seems to me that it uh argues a bit too much um to suggest that you need perfect clarity as to how these things would play out because you obviously will never have that until you can I mean you can make reasonable estimates of how you think uh, the market would adapt to a half cent or, you know, a tenth of a cent mm-hmm. access fee, uh, right, based on a variety of other measures, right? But it's I think right. ticking wins, though, is there, I don't think there's anybody who says there's not such a thing as tick constraint. It just comes down. Right. And then I think for those that are tick constrained, I think people say go to half a penny, then work on data. And then if need be down the line, go fifth yeah. of a penny, that kind of stuff. I don't, I think most people are in agreement there because there's no other way to get data unless you do it. It just then comes down to what goes into that bucket. Some have proposed very narrow, like CBOEs, I think was down to something like 70 names. And I think what the SEC proposed was something like 56% of volume. So it was pretty broad as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. It's hard to know on that one. And that's, but that's also where I think there yeah. is an opportunity for us to get data, right? You know, so currently the SEC has exemptive authority. 4612, you know, and, you know, to, you know, credit them appropriately, you know, Memex had proposed that um, or had asked for um, exemptive relief for 
quote unquote, to constrain stocks, right? And that was one definition. And what's interesting is that request was back in 2021. So that was before we even had really had gotten into this, you know, conversation or this deep into this conversation. Right. What was the request exemptable so the request, to quote at Halfpenny? Right, right. To, you know, for quoting and, okay. you know, what's, and what's, and that was really the crux of our comment letter was here is an opportunity to get data. So the SEC can use its exemptive, you know, authority under Reagan MS, which it is granted to say, you know what? Under these specific circumstances, and I don't think it just has to be broad a penny, they can make it conditional so that you say, and lower the access fee cap in names that have, say, this average daily volume, this kind of quoting activity, whatever those circumstances are. And the SEC can actually do that. They don't need rulemaking to do it. And what that also does, I think, as a probably one of the most significant benefits of doing something like that, potentially, is it comes in with a built-in rollback plan. Right. So and potential ways to kind of modify it. Now, you have to have consensus for that because you don't want to make it an election. You want everybody to participate. Yeah. But so 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 one let me let me question that just a little bit in the context of what you what you were describing um, sounds like a bit of a pilot program to sort of test the impact of these things before. So as we all know, the SEC tried that approach um, with rebates um, sometime back. Um, the exchanges immediately, but all over it went to court saying, you don't have the ability, you don't have the authority to conduct a pilot experiment to determine, to gather data to determine what the impact will actually be. You need to have a clear view as to what you expect right. will happen, what needs to happen, and then make changes based on right. your assessment. So one concern, one thing I would be concerned about at the SEC, perhaps given that background with sort of just let's, let's do a test for a period of time is then you end right back in, in court, um, facing those same arguments. It, I mean, it could. I, I understand that. I mean, it, it certainly is was in, you know, in the back of my mind, which is the problem with pilots, right? Because it's, or the, I shouldn't say, it's not the problem, the challenge when it comes to pilots, because there are so many differing views on this. But what is a common view is, you know, Ronan, like you said, people do generally get around, you know, can wrap their head around half penny tick sizes in certain names. Yep. And I think, you know, look, you can even put it, I, I'm, I'm not a legal person at all. So, you know, how it, but it, it is, it's written into Reagan MS. So it, and it right. was for 612. So maybe there's a little bit more flexibility but, but and an opportunity yeah. for it to use the consensus. But, but there is a distinction, I think, between a, a you know, a, a pilot program, for example, I'm going to have sent versus the concept of start with a change where there is a significant consensus, let's say, um, a half cent tick for some body of stocks that we define as tick constrained. And then based on the experience from that, determine whether you might want to go further with right. certain stocks. So that's a, that's not structured as a pilot program so much as, um, you know, let, let's, introduce the changes incrementally based on right. um, our, our ability to evaluate right. the impacts. And and that g- g- gives us an opportunity to really examine subpenny trading and quoting mm-hmm. in our existing environment. Right. And I'd be willing to bet that what is going to happen is I think it's going to, you know, uncover things that we we hadn't seen or hadn't thought of. And I think it also might prevent some of those unintended consequences that we would not have seen, but now we can avoid, right? So I think that's also, you know, it's a different way of doing the incremental approach, but also without significant rulemaking so that 
which like you said, potentially is going to be fought, but can be rolled back. And those circumstances would need to be outlined too. But at the very least, you know, maybe it could be a conversation to have, you know, something that, you know, because we all know what the current market looks like now, right? So I think it might be easier. But, you know, again, what we did also say with that was a combination of not just reducing this handful of stocks to say, starting with a penny, Mm -hmm. but also reducing the access fee cap. Um, And, you know, in my opinion, because the access fee cap was, you know, old, (laughs) it was, it had nothing to do with, you know, the percentage of the tick size or anything. No, absolutely not. But you wrote that in your comment letter as well. Well, well, absolutely. I mean, the access fee cap was about the prices that institutional investors in particular are going to be required to access the best prices in the market. It had nothing um, to do with percentage spread. No, but it, now that's, the, that, that's an invented argument, in my yeah, view, is yeah. that um, somehow there needs to be some fixed relationship between the amount of the size of the access fee and the, and and, the tick size. And what's interesting is because, you know, also alongside that argument is the concept of stock price, right? I mean, it wasn't until 2017 where, you know, the median price of an S&P 500 stock, like, jumped well over $100. Mm-hmm. And that are not at 17, but since 2017, it's right around there. Whereas all the years before that, you're looking at 50, $60. And that was relatively consistent over those years. But now we do have to account for stock price and spread and basis points and things like that. And the challenge, which is where I, you know, you know, ever, I think everybody wants more data before any, you know, doing this massive overhaul. But what it does is, it's hard to insert stock price into a market that is intentionally designed to ignore it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that I think is, is a challenge. What are you looking at me for? Well, I don't know. I thought maybe you were, you want me to, you want <laughs> well, me do to you segue? Do you agree? <laughs> <laughs> what about I, you? I don't know, frankly. I mean, I'm at, the, maybe I'm cynical and jaded. Uh, oh, I can't see, yeah, yeah. I'm Irish. Uh-huh. I can't see any of these things being adopted and not heavily challenged, which, frustrates me because it's as if this industry, including us, there's so much viewpoints that we can't seem to get anything right. fucking changed, which is Well, I do think, yes, there's always, it's I mean, hard to move, it's, it is hard to move forward it, now. Yeah. yeah. I, I do think that there has been a change over time um, uh, where, uh, you know, people often, there are decisions that come out that people disagree with maybe strongly. But I think the, uh, you know, the point of challenging your regulator by suing in federal court has become almost a, a just a matter of first resort rather than last resort or a tactical, a, a tool that is used, um, on a, you know, sort of frequent basis just to try to delay things, um, indefinitely or, to, you know, ultimately, uh, figure out, you know, maybe you'll get lucky and get it overturned. Most of these very large companies, um, uh, you know, have revenue sources such the cost of litigation is not significant, um, at all. Um, so if you're not concerned about your ongoing relationship with your regulator, then why, how much do you care? Um, so I do worry about that. Hello. <laughs> I, I tend to tune out when John speaks. No, no <laughs> Come on. Give me <laughs> so, a break. Sorry, boxers. So another one um, that's sort of drawn a lot of ire, but um, also there's a lot of support on some aspects to it. So I'm not talking about the retail auction, but there's a lot of buzz in the industry around possibly setting a standard trading increment for retail systems and letting exchanges show orders that give better prices to retail folks. What do you guys feel things might shake out there? Or like Because I, I think 
The retail auction, as proposed, what's it called? The order competition rule? Order competition rule. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think that one's going to go unchallenged. Uh, I, yeah. I would have to agree with you yeah. there. Um, I think what's interesting is one of the challenges is the retail trading environment is very different from the institutional trading environment. Yep. And so trying to marry those two with one proposal is very, or one rule, whatever they want to call it, is. Yeah. It's, you know, that's very, it's very difficult to do that. But what I find most interesting about the order competition rule and where I'm hesitant to think that it will get passed is it's very much more of a modern day rule 390. And so I don't know if you remember, I'm totally dating myself with this one, but you know, rule 390 was pre-Reagan MS when- John wrote rule three. Oh, what's what's 390? <laughs> it was the New York Stock Exchange rule. You never miss an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> it was a near it's an old New York Stock Exchange rule before Reagan MS. And basically what it did was it it was meant to encourage the interaction of the of the individual investor orders in one place. And it prevented from a principal or agency, eventually it became just principal, from basically internalization away from the exchange. And the intent behind this current proposal, the OCR, yeah. is to, you know, the competition of retail orders. But where that breaks down for me is it's actually at the expense of the broader market competition. And that was the very reason why 390 was ultimately rescinded. Yeah. Because it's saying, I get the intent, the ideas, yeah. the ideas well intended, the merits of it. But at the expense of competition, that's a no-no. And the SEC was very strongly against it. And oh, But now that's almost kind of like what's what's potentially happening now because it's going to be very difficult to actually implement well, that. Right. And, and finding the balance is always very difficult. But now we have an environment, as you know, where we're, you know, like other exchanges, I'm sure we're frustrated that there's very few uh, retail orders that actually sure. make their way um, to exchanges, largely executed by wholesalers. Now the wholesalers will argue they're providing a service economy efficiencies of scale, et cetera. Um, they're providing a, a very uh, efficient way for executing those orders in a way that exchanges could not do as easily. Um, but still, certainly there are lots of institutional investors that would like to be able to yes. have more opportunities Agreed. to interact with that order flow that they just don't have today. So that's the conundrum is yes. that how, how do you allow that to happen without some kind of regulatory mandate. Um, and then if you do have a regulatory mandate, though, how do you avoid being too prescriptive? Right. I, I think where exchanges today, I mean, more recently, they've done a lot of innovation to attempt to get retail orders on exchanges, right? Better than it's ever been in terms of, you know, the level of innovation. But I think if you had a little bit more of that flexibility to innovate for retail, I think that would... Yeah put you on and other exchanges on a different level in terms of competing. And so you make it you do that, right? And to give you a little bit more flexibility to kind of, whether it's modifications to your current retail program or you coming up with a different one, that I think is, you know, I would say leave it to the experts, right? That's what you guys do. That's what trading venues do. That's what they're designed to do. And so I think if you have that ability to innovate, I do think that something will hopefully, you know, stick, you know, us included. We, you know, I'd love to, you know, interact more with retail volume on exchanges. I think at least there's a, a better view of volume, a better, you know, better interaction. So that's really where I think that would be better than the OCR as proposed. No, we, we definitely agree. I mean, John is hot on his 10 mil trading increments, right? 
Well, yes. I mean, one of our ideas is if you do setting minimum um, level of uh, uh, trading increment of 10 mils, which a lot of people, uh, more people than I expected actually endorse that idea. So that has the, so what that would do is at least set a minimum level of price improvement of at least that amount for retail orders. It's probably not going to um, hinder ability of institutional investors to trade. They don't seem to be worried about having a, a trading increment of that type. Um, and then but maybe if, we could compete more with wholesalers if they well, right. had that. Soon. If we were right. able to display liquidity that is able to to trade against retail orders in those 10 mil increments and show the full size that's available to do that, then then that seems like that would give us a, a, a little bit of a better ability to advertise. Compete. Compete. We just want to compete. We just want to compete for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go off exchange for a minute. You kind of touched upon it earlier. There's a lot of new off-exchange venues doing many different things, and I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. I think it's actually a good thing, especially because IEX came out of the gates as off-exchange, and maybe we're a little bit pain in that brokers were connecting to us, and now there's more venues for you guys to connect to. So where there's complexity, I guess there's opportunity. But you've touched on the topic of fragmentation of trading versus the fragmentation of trading venues. I'd love to know what that means and how do you see this evolving in the future? So the fragmentation of trading uh, context, I believe it was more, I think it was around the tick, like around tick sizes and what, you know, and reducing it to tenths of a penny. And then, so when, by doing that, right, we end up kind of having this fragmentation of trading in different circumstances, not to mention it's going to change whether it's quarterly or or monthly or something like that. And then you kind of also include the evolution of order types, which is still ongoing. And that's, you know, out completely for entirely different reasons, right? There's, you know, there were certainly order types out there that were not great, but then generally they're created out of investor need, right? And an evolving market, right? That's probably the modern way that we can evolve in a market, you know, our order types Mm -hmm. and to appeal to certain investors and to, you know, hopefully achieve a certain outcome and, you know, things like that. But that comment was, you know, around the fragmentation of trading was really meant as an unintended consequence of putting into granular tick sizes and Mm -hmm. potentially driving volume, more volume off exchange. Right. You know, I know, I think you were like, where did you find that letter? Like one of the letters that, um, you know, I know has been cited a couple of times was a comment letter from back in 2001, right. When the commission was contemplating going to sub pennies, which was right after decimalization. So we're saying, okay, maybe we should think about this. And there were all these studies and institutional industrial experiences that were saying, it's worse, right? It's harder to actually access liquidity on exchanges. And what ultimately happens is you drive more volume off exchange because I think if it's too granular, it's, you know, to go 10 price levels to that make up a penny, right? Assuming it's, sure. you know, a tenth of a penny for a thousand shares entirely, it's who wouldn't be more patient, you know, yeah. in all things being right. equal, of course, right? I think we said it was bunkers. Well, right? well yeah. thank you know, it's you like for it, clearing up Ronan's confusion. I, I had understood the point that you made to begin with, but <laughs> um, but he had a little more trouble. Um, what do you think about that, Ralph? I agree with you. <laughs> I, we, 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 we said no to 10 tick increments. Yeah, I think, we, well, I think we, we agree with yeah, the idea that we nuts. thought that, that um, uh, it, it just risks further um, – uh, raising the value of speed advantages because the ability to navigate that many more price points is just not, not within the ability of of most brokers. Well said. Thank you. Thank you.
Well, we'll see what comes with tick increments, but we, to- we totally agree there that on that fragmentation. And then the fragmentation of trading venues, like you touched on before, I guess that's how brokers can compete and differentiate themselves from other brokers. Yeah, right. I do. And I do. People use venues in different ways. We may go to one ATS venue and another, you know, in our own way, and another broker goes into an ATS venue in another way. And just the sequence that they route to venues will also be different. But ultimately, you know, theoretically, you could have two the two exact same orders sent to different brokers and brokers access the market in a very different way. And yep. ultimately, you could come out with a one is better, one is worse, and it could, or it could be yeah. the exact same, right? So I think probably one of the things that I have seen more recently is, you know, as a result of a lot of these venues is you don't need market share, which was always a strong argument for needing to route to a venue. You don't need market mm-hmm. share to find performance benefits in trading. And I think that's very important today. We certainly know how to find the negative performance but you know the market share isn't just the only argument in terms of determining why you would want to route to a venue i understand that yes there are priorities technology resources they're not necessarily easy to come by everyone kind of has their list and priorities that aside though it's you know you can still find a lot of performance benefits in accessing venues and new venues in very different ways and so you don't want to create barriers for people making kinds of innovations that allow people to do that. But the flip side of that, of course, is that at some point, the level of fragmentation of liquidity across so many different points becomes um, such that uh, maybe there are a f- relatively few participants that are able to effectively navigate it. Um, a lot of other people can't. And then, uh, you know, if you lived in a world where you had relatively few guardrails in terms of where people could send orders or how they could be executed, that's one thing. But we live in a world where there's all kinds of rules in this, uh, you know, system of protected quotes that means that, you know, I mean, there have been questions, for example, as whether there ought to be some minimum level of market share in order for somebody to to qualify for a protected quote, because otherwise uh, it's too too easy to be able to get in the game and then require everybody in the right. market effectively right. to connect to your venue. Right. And that's therein lies the problem of mandating where to go. Yeah. Right. I mean, and then there's a whole host of other things that just automatically become related to it that become part of the conversation that maybe it didn't start there, but Reg NMS, you know, like the order protection rule, we know it's the only pretty much like thing of its nature, at least in our own structure, right? Um, if there isn't one in Europe, that's probably the most obvious example that people use to draw a comparison. But again, like back to your other point, the OPR was used like kind of in relation to access fees, right? Because it prevented people from charging exorbitant fees sure. because you had to route there. So it's very hard to have that one piece without dragging in all of these other, all exactly. these other areas. And we wind up like kind of going down another, another road. Right. Yeah, so look, we, we talked a lot about the proposals that we care most about. Um, but we earlier mentioned there's been 20, 30 plus SEC proposals. Yeah. So your job as market, you know, <laughs> managing director of market structure, I know you wake up every morning seeing what's going to post and it's, it's your job to cover these. But, uh, where do you think the market's heading in the next decade? Oh. I wish I knew. I certainly wouldn't be working if I did. But (laughs) (laughs) I'd be trading on it. I I I think it's going to. It's potentially with all of this regulation going in, and if you assume that one or even some of these, you know, the trading proposals actually go through, I think it's figuring that out and you know potentially playing defense 
right? Playing catch up mm-hmm. and constantly seeing, you know, what drastic changes, you know, how it affected us and trying to find a cause and effect. And, I, you know, I think that's going to be, you know, a hurdle, not to mention, right, navigating T plus one and, you know, and how it impacts everything around the globe. Yeah. I think that, you know, the regulation is going to be probably a center for, I would say, a very long time. And then there's, you know, the other side of it from a trading perspective. I mean, there's also, you know, the broader economics, right? You have just have, you know, interest rates and, you know, even apart from that, I think from the trading side, I think it becomes, right? I think we talked about this years ago, right? Finding alpha in trading, figuring out how to do that and how you can keep your infrastructure up to date with making sure that happens, being able to be nimble and being able to change and pivot and that I think there's going to be a lot of that as well. Yeah. What the hell are you going to do if the next regime doesn't put out proposals every month, Anna? <laughs> I, I, I don't think she has to worry about that. I think we'll continue yeah. to see proposals. There'll always be market structure. I'll say if they do, I think we're all pretty much certain that we'll have a job for the next yeah. handful of yeah. years. Uh, or we might just retire. <laughs> uh, done. Always possible. Um, so You're going nowhere. I, <laughs> you How can't you leave me, that? John. I'm going nowhere. Um, I meant that in a yeah, good way. I, I know. You leave, um, I leave. I know. Um can I ask you about AI? It's not on the list, but I thought, you know, <laughs> frequently I sit in these things and thoughts just occur to me on the spur. And I feel like um, he's any, dynamic. Any thoughts you have to, I mean, obviously, you know, there's been so much hype about AI in like all sectors of the economy. I was going to transform everything. People are talking about it in the context of trading too. Um, do, do you have any thoughts sort of shorter or long-term about how impactful um, you think that those f- forms of technology may be in um, changing the trading business? Or just remains to be seen. I mean, I, I'll be the first one to tell you I, I am not an expert by by any means. But what I think there's, it's more of the um, the trajectory of it that I think about more, like how fast it will take mm-hmm. over and build on itself. And that's what I think is very interesting because I think about it, you know, looking back from, you know, say 2007, right? Really when technology really became, you know, started to come into trading. And I mean, technology was always a part of it, but the real rapid, really take over, right? The way that trading was conducted, automated, you know, the quote unquote high frequency trading, right? That that was more, you know, within the past 15, 20 years. And And when you look now and then, it's two different worlds, very different worlds. And so you have to wonder what a sophisticated concept like AI would do now that it's being introduced and what it would look like. So it's more the trajectory of it and how rapidly it would take over. You have to wonder if it's going to be even, you know, a mu- it'll be a much more rapid pace than, yeah. than what we saw. And the regulators obviously have a role too, because they have to be in some position to evaluate how the technology is being used to impact um, trading and to have some level of comfort mm-hmm. around that, how that happens. So it's not enough for people to just say, well, we're going to use AI. Um, therefore, you don't, there are no, no more questions to be asked. And I, and I think that there's also a lot of learning that has to be done, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. I don't know how many like true experts we have yeah. that would, I mean, I don't, I don't know, no idea. I would, wouldn't even be able to pick a number, no right? Idea. How many would be able to come in, look at AI, be able to predict and what that would look like in the yeah. market. I, so I think it's also very much an exploratory exercise at this stage too, yeah. which is a different kind of challenge. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let's ask Anna a personal question. I think I think Shall we? Well, hopefully yeah. not too personal. Not too I personal. It's not an inappropriate. So no, Anna. Obviously, when we introduced you, your your career is pretty amazing, right? Your roles have spanned across many large financial institutions, many, 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 and and you've done different things, right? You came from people trading, electronic trading, market structure, and you know where we are in 2023, market structure is becoming more and more valuable. Can, can you share? pivotal moment or decision in your career that significantly changed your direct tra- 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 trajectory. <laughs> just use that word. <laughs> I'm jet lagged. I just got home yesterday. <laughs> That's how they say it in Belgium. Yeah. That's what I always say when I fuck up words. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, um, what was that significant or pivotal moment? Or maybe there's more than one, but just curious. So, well, the, I mean, my father is the one that really got me into, you know, wanting to work on Wall Street. Um, but I'd say in terms of the pivotal moment, that, you know, was the catalyst to how I landed where I am today. It was um, right after, maybe it was a short time after, maybe a couple of months after Flash Boys was written, was published. And there, you know, the UK and Europe, um, and I, I believe it was the UK, actually, they had come out with the statement. One of the regulators came out and said, you know, well, we don't have this the same issue, right? We have less fragmentation and we don't have an order protection rule. We don't have a Reagan MS. And so therefore we're not going to have the same problem. And I sat there, I was like, oh, I don't think smoking? so. <laughs> I'm like, I just yeah. don't think yeah. so. And, you You're know, one different of, fucking country. <laughs> yeah. And one, so one of the things that I always, you know, say this, like in terms of, you know, how I write, what I write is I love to write about things that everyone's talking about, but in a way that no one talks about. And that was the first piece that I wrote was basically saying, here, Europe, you have just, you have the same problems that we do, even though you don't have a regular MS and you don't have an OPR. Right. This is what dark art looks like. This and you is have what- no friggin' idea of what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. or what, so just back off. And you all smoke too many cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. That but too. I think, I mean, I just think, saying. <laughs> I mean, they the were. Irish. Yeah, well, that's true. I but. mean, it's, you know, it was, it was more, you know, it wasn't intended to call them out really, right. but I, you know, I know you know that, but it was really a way to say this you know, there are many similar issues. They have order types too, right? They have post-only order types. They have, and you know, that was back in 2010 and I wrote that piece. And that really was the moment where I was like, wow, okay. And that was, you know, kind of, you know, finding my voice and finding what the things that I like to write about. And, you know, that's why I ended up, you know, writing the paper on odd lots right into that, you know, 2019. And, you know, it was like, it's not a high pri- high price stock problem, folks. Like, this is a bigger problem. So I would say that really shaped that one piece really shaped, you know, what I do and kind of how I approach talking about certain topics and discussions. Have you ever thought of running your own podcast? <laughs> no, I'm serious. No. We thought it was insane when they told us to no. do it. Clearly was. It probably but, still yeah. is. Mm-hmm. I guess they're good right. considering I don't like cameras. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So we have a final question for you. And I hope to Christ they gave you a heads up on this one because we haven't asked a guest this before, but we're going, we're steering away from our what's your favorite Wall Street movie and why question. And now we're going to ask you. Well, I don't know if we're going to ever ask anyone this. We're going to <laughs> see what the answer is. Yeah, but this new the if the Wall one. Street bull came to life and could talk, what words of wisdom or advice do you think it would share? First thing you might say is really, but <laughs> yeah. no. just go with it, Anna. Go yeah. with it. Yeah. So what I, I what I do remember about states. the bull was um, it was brought to New York in like the late eighties, like nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine, or so, like that. Yeah, and it 
appears, and there was a lot of controversy around it from what I remember. And it was like controversial because it was sort of, you know, promoting the optimism and, you know, financial prosperity and, you know, right. So there was yeah. that, but really be bullish. it was about, because it was given, um, it was given as a gift to the city. Um, I believe, uh, was after the stock market crash in 1987 and what it's intended to do is kind of help people be, be inspired to get through tough times. And that was really the intent. So I think if I had to say what the bull would say, it's kind of like, remember why I was here, why I was brought here. Let's and go. it's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of how it muddles through it. Pretty good answer. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I was wondering yeah. what the hell you were going to say. I know, yeah. I know, but she pulled it off. She uh, landed it. I, I would have just answered the my favorite Wall Street movie and why as if no, I hadn't been asked. She landed the triple Lundy. Nutty question. She landed the triple Lundy. Well, thank you, Anna. Now, if you again. were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? <laughs> yeah, let, let's see if we can stump you. Tree stump. Look at that transition. So, Anna, thank you. You've been a great guest, and it's nice to have you in person this time. Versus- yeah, we're going to free thank gift. You. We're going to give her a gift. Don't we do that? Yeah, you know, but she that? made fun of the IEX socks before. I did not. I said, I have a pair of IEX yeah. socks. Yeah. We'll, we'll because I said transparency last time. Oh, that was yes. the key word. Yes, yes, oh, that's, that's true. Right. <laughs> We do have new IEX uh, boxes of mine socks. I've seen they're very, we we very approved. Uh, they will look great, but we don't have them to give to you right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've tried to mix it up a little bit. We're definitely, yeah, they're on their way. You will, you will get your pair, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Is it worth the subway ride and subjected to an hour with us two? I don't know. <laughs> I would say no. <laughs> well, it's been worth it to us. It's all we always enjoy, um, both reading your stuff and talking to you. Thank you. you in person. It's a special treat for us. Thank you for having me. Okay, boxes and liners, over and out. Go, John. Over and out. The Lord bless you all. Till next time. You'll notice it didn't improve. No. Jesus, I thought you were going to have a better one. Shut up. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. Are you a diehard boxer or liner, or just a fair weather fan? No judgments. I know how annoying JR's Irish accent can be. Either way, we want to hear from you on our new Boxes and Lines listener survey to find out what you think about the show, give input on future episodes, guests, and more. We'll take it back to our survey counter thingy machine and consider all of your inputs as we plan our 2024 season. You can find the survey at iex.getfeedback.com slash boxesandlines. And don't worry, there's something in it for you. That's my drum roll. JR could probably do it better. You get a pair of socks. That's right. Take the survey. We'll send you a pair of our coveted box and line socks while supplies last in a new limited edition print. How's that for listener appreciation? So take the survey. Tell us what you think. And thanks for listening. Again, that's iex.getfeedback.com slash boxes and lines over and out. Boxes and lines is a podcast from IEX Exchange. It is hosted by Ronan Ryan and John Ramsey. Executive produced by Daisy Clace. With support from Benstown. For more information and to hear more episodes, go to iexexchange.io slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Boxes and Lines. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only, and IEX Group Incorporated and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversation may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group Incorporated, all rights reserved.